The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Many people, be it woman or man, that lose their spouse go into a deep, deep depression. Some can't eat. They can't drink. They go into seclusion. Many don't even want to live anymore. But this merry widow threw a house party. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, take a listen to our friends at NBC. This whole entire place will uh, sleep up to 60 people. The listing agent telling NBC News Corey is currently selling this house, purchased just a week after her husband's death. Detectives say the couple had argued about the property, which Corey wanted to flip. The agent says this rendering shows plans for a four to six million dollar renovation of the 10 acre estate. But police say Eric told his family he no longer wanted to buy the house because it would lose a significant amount of money. The day after Eric was found dead, investigators say Corey reached a deal on the home. And that same day, threw a party at her house where she was drinking and celebrating with friends. Wow. And it wasn't just a house. This house was over $2 million valued, unfinished, 20,000 square feet on a nearly nine-acre plot of land. Okay, joining me in all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. But first, to Jarrett Ferentino, homicide prosecutor. You can find him on Facebook and Insta at Jarrett Ferentino. Jarrett, thanks for being with us. Jarrett, you know, money. Greed, greed, greed. One of the seven deadly sins. Now, of course, you know, the seven deadly sins is set forth in Canterbury Tales is not necessarily the law by which we live, but a lot of murders have been committed over greed. Nancy, I look at this case and I think about, we said when we were talking about Dr. Craig, the dentist that poisoned his wife, there's a special place in hell for people that kill out of greed and selfishness. And that's exactly what this is all about. Corey Richens was in love with a lifestyle. A lifestyle. That's a really good way to put it, Jarrett Ferentino. A lifestyle. Was it a lifestyle she could not sustain with a husband? 
or was it a lifestyle she couldn't have with a husband? Because here you see him putting the brakes on buying this $2 million house. And, you know, they buy and they flip. And I guess she wanted to flip this house or did she want to move into this house? But I do know this. The day after he dies, she throws a celebration, a big party to celebrate closing the deal on the house. Forget about him. He's cold and dead. Let's look forward at the house. You know, Nancy, one other thing, and you've prosecuted these cases. This is something, events like this, actions like this, a party after the death, that will come in to the ultimate prosecution in this case. Here's why. Her actions before and her actions after all are relevant to her true intentions in the case. She's celebrating at the death of her husband, a father of three young children, because she accomplished her goal. Get him out of the way, get this property, get money. And that's what she was partying about. Can we walk through these steps? Everybody on the panel, do I have to keep reminding you? This is not high tea at Windsor Castle with Camilla and Charles. Okay? Jump in. It's more like a rugby game. No pads, no protection, head-on collision, and who wins in the end remains to be seen. Let's talk through all the steps of throwing a party. Can we just start right there? Let me go to Karen Stark, joining me, renowned psychologist, joining us from Manhattan, trauma and crime expert. You can find her at karenstark.com. That's Karen with a C. Karen, a party. You know, I want to throw a July the 4th party like we do every single year. And we really, as we say down south, put on the dog. I mean, we have so much fun. Uh, typically, we get a slippy slide, which results in a big mud hole in the yard. I see you shuddering over there, Jackie. Um, fireworks, the whole shebang. Okay? Um, and you have to think about it ahead of time. What are you going to cook? What are you going to serve? Sending out the Evites on and on and on. Did we forget anybody? Who did we invite last year? Don't want to leave anybody out. That takes a minute, right? So when was she doing the party planning? Well, Nancy, you're talking about a psychopath, right? Oh, wait a minute. I just figured it out, Karen Stark. You know I will lose the thought if I don't tell you immediately. Okay, tell Maybe me. Maybe she did the party planning while her husband was lying in bed dying of a massive fentanyl overdose. Remember, she was texting a lot, and we can't seem to find out what she and her friend were texting about. So maybe it was all the party planning. Because the day after he's dead, she has a big party. I mean, with all the works and trimmings. So when was that planned? Before he died? After he died? While he was dying? I'd be very curious to find out, Karen Stark. Hey, hey, we need to make a note of this to Joe Scott Morgan, Justin Borman, Jared Fiorentino, and Dave Mack. When did she invite people to the party? Was it after the husband died, while he was dying, or before he died? I really want to know that because you just heard Jared Fiorentino, veteran trial lawyer, state that her actions after the death of her husband can come into evidence. That's absolutely correct in the law. So I want to find out when these party invites went out. Okay, I got it out, Karen. Go ahead. Well, what I wanted to say is when you think about someone who's a psychopath, right, they don't have any feelings. So, of course, she's able to have a party. I don't know when she planned it, but she's a liar, too. She told them, she told the police that her phone was turned off, which you were talking about. And they discovered, in fact, that she was. There was a lot of movement. She texted people back and forth. Maybe she was planning it at that point. And also, Nancy, a day after or a few days after, she hired somebody to break into the safe. Great minds think alike. I'm moving right along to that. After I talk about the party invites. Nobody apparently is interested in my party theory that throwing this big party with all of her friends is significant. Not just the audacity of it, not just the behavioral oddity, but I'm talking about digital evidence that we can get about when she planned the party. 
What did she say? Hey, my husband's dead, but we're still going to have the party. Did she say that before, during, or after? Nancy, what we actually... Who is this? This is Dave Mack. Oh, okay. Dave Mack joining me. CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. Do you have an answer? We have this, Nancy. Every time uh, Corey Richens was texting her friends, okay, about anything in the months leading up to the death of Eric Richens, Mm -hmm. she deleted the data. So what we know is that as she w- this was not necessarily a, uh, a planned event with invitations like you talk about high tea at, at, in in <laughs> London. But what it is, Windsor Castle is not in London. Number one. Let's well, get that straight. <laughs> OK, that is where Queen Elizabeth hung out with the Duke. It's beautiful. It's serene. It's bucolic. <laughs> London is a whole nother can of worms. Okay, let's just get that straight. You're the investigative reporter. Don't just blurt out Windsor Castle is in London. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, now that I'm pulling out the globe to start studying, let me get back to this for a minute. What she did was it wasn't like they had butlers and servants and everybody showing up. She called her closest friends and and then texted or deleted whatever she had already sent and said, come on over, we're throwing down. Because this plan of action, this entire event that took place at that party, Nancy, was actually based on an entire lie. This is where everything crumbled because everyone on Eric's side of the family knew he was not into this mansion building flip, right? She, he was against it. He wasn't going for it. She immediately, as soon as he's dead, she closes on the thing within 24 hours, okay? She buys the house that they were they were disagreeing about and calls her friends to come over and celebrate. But she told the police that the night Eric died when she made him the Moscow mule, that uh, that's what they were celebrating. They'd closed on it earlier that day. So immediately she had lied, tripping everything up at the very beginning with that party being right there at the genesis of the whole thing. So police immediately knew, wait a minute. This is not right. So somebody is jumping on my party bandwagon here, and it is Dave Mack with Crime Online. Hey, Dave, I want to confirm a couple of things you said. I just want to reiterate them because I'm marshalling the evidence. What does that mean? As Jared Ferentino can tell you, when you've got a, a lot of evidence, you have to marshal or organize it. That's what that means. And I'm getting down to the timing of this party. Big party, a lot of friends over. Now, I know she lied to the cops, according to what we just heard from Dave Mack, about when the closing was. Are you telling me, Dave Mack, that the closing occurred within 24 hours after the husband's death? That's what I'm saying. Well, not closing. She reached a deal on the property within 24 hours. Yes, ma'am, not closing. It takes time to set that up. But, yeah, she reached a deal because it was in limbo with Eric alive. She hadn't reached a deal because he wouldn't allow it. As soon as he was dead, she's on the phone talking to whoever she's buying it from, and they're making plans to go in and they struck a deal on the price, and then she actually called the friends at this party. Okay, let me, one more question regarding the party. The emails or texts that she sent to her friends to come over and party to celebrate the closing, did she delete that data? We don't have any record that police uncovered any information detailing the party and invitations to it. Because I'm not quite sure which friends' uh, emails and text she deleted. Guys, we know that information was deleted. Take a listen to our Cut 17 from KU TV. Evidence gathered in the death investigation revealed Corey claimed she was away from her phone that night and it was left on a charger by her bed. Teams, however, gathered evidence the phone was in use during that time and sent messages had been deleted. There you hear, sent messages deleted. There's a lot more digital evidence to analyze, but why would you delete simple party invitations? I mean, as Jackie here knows, who rifles through my cell phone all the time, nothing is ever deleted. It's a treasure trove of whatever you want to find. So, why would she go to the, the trouble to delete party invites texting her friends hi guys nancy grace here please join us now on fox nation for a brand new investigation parallels of evil the bundy and idaho killings in this gripping special investigation we bring together an incredible panel of guests who analyze disturbing similarities of evil between 
these horrible crimes. We speak with two female Ted Bundy survivors, Karen Pryor and Cheryl Thomas, who describe their life before and after they were victims of Ted Bundy. We also speak with the renowned private investigator Bill Warner, who worked the cases, and Ted Bundy's defense attorney, John Henry Brown. We travel to Moscow, Idaho, to speak with Washington State University students and interview neighbors of Brian Koberger. One neighbor shares exclusive insights about the suspect in the Idaho killings, Brian Koberger. Don't miss Parallels of Evil, the Bundy and Idaho killings, streaming now exclusively on Fox Nation. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Don't let a bad mattress stand between you and a good night's sleep. Lisa Mattress can help. From memory foam mattresses that hug in all the right places to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer incredible comfort and support at every price point. Collectively, their mattresses have over 20000 five-star reviews. Delivery is free, returns are easy, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your own home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash Nancy, thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You know, Justin Boardman is with us, uh, detective, formerly with West Valley City PD, Special Victims Unit, now at Boardman Training and Consulting. Justin, this is your neck of the woods. What can you tell us? Yeah, it is my neck of the woods. Um, in fact, I lived for a while just half a mile or so away from the property that she purchased to flip, um, which is seems to be cursed because the former owner committed suicide in there. Um, and it's been in limbo and been an eyesore for the community for such a long time. It's hard for me to imagine a $2 million home being an eyesore, but I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is, mainly because it's been just half finished sitting there. Oh, yes. I'm looking at a photo of it right now. It's big. Yeah. It's beautiful. Gorgeous location. If you're into garish, I guess this would qualify. But Very true. Also, it's on a beautiful track of land, and I believe it was close to 10 acres. The scenery is worth it because behind this home, 
as Justin Boardman is telling us with Boardman Training and Consulting, if you look at it, in the background are these beautiful snow-capped hills, the big sky. It's really a vista that I guess may be worth the money if you have it. And it is a big home. It's a big home. It's a honking big home. Now, let's see, 20,000 plus square feet? Right. Wow. Okay, you, so you live not far from this. Correct. Have you spoken to anyone that knew the Richens? Um, yeah, I spoke to somebody the other day at the Memorial Day um, neighborhood party that, that mentioned that she was friends um, with her. And this was just a very huge surprise to her friends um, because they did not see this um, monster lurking beneath the surface, if you will. So they were surprised? They were surprised, absolutely. Okay, well, that's in direct contradiction to Eric Richens' family. Take a listen to Our Cut 28, our friends at NBC. Now the family of the father of three is speaking out, saying they've long been suspicious of his wife, Corey. Does Eric's family believe Corey killed him? I think the family has always felt that Corey was somehow involved in his death. The 33-year-old real estate agent turned children's book author has been charged with his murder. Police alleging she poisoned her 39-year-old husband last March with a massive dose of fentanyl. And according to court documents, Eric's family told investigators it may not have been the first time she'd poisoned him. He felt like Corey was trying to kill him and that if he did die, that she should be investigated for that. Wow. So the family wasn't surprised at all because according to them, this father of three thought his wife had long been trying to kill him, but he would not accept that. It was more like a joke to him. But as we know, many a true word is spoken in jest alternately seriously telling his sister about what he perceived was an attempt on his life while the family was vacationing in Greece. And then, hey, she's doing it for the money. Ha, ha, ha. You know, I've noticed uh, Karen Stark, psychologist joining us out of Manhattan, that very often people joke about things which are deadly serious, things that may be even scary to them. Is that just a way of dealing with fear? Well, exactly, Nancy. A lot of humor is based on people being sad or fearful. And the way that they can make it be okay is to lighten it up. But I don't think that this man was actually thinking it was funny. I think that he really understood that she wanted him to be dead, that she had tried to kill him and... I want to add that that was not the first time. Oh, absolutely not. You know, I noticed something, and I don't know if you've noticed this in your death investigations, Joe Scott Morgan. With me is death investigator Joseph Scott Morgan, professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, author of Blood Beneath My Feet on Amazon, and star of a hit series, and I mean a hit, Body Bags with Joe Scott Morgan. You and I together worked on the case of Ellen Greenberg, a beautiful young uh, teacher who was stabbed, I believe it was 22 times, mostly in the back, in the back of the head, in the back of the neck, and her murder was ruled a suicide. You and I have been pushing that case since we heard about it. Um, When I visited her parents, Joe Scott, her mother was... Very solemn, pleasant, but solemn, because we were talking about her daughter's murder. The father, who was a really nice guy, kept cracking jokes the whole interview. And a couple of times I had a barbed response, because I really didn't think it was appropriate. But later, I saw him standing in the family kitchen, and his eyes were filled with tears. We went to, as you know, her gravesite, and the family told me that they had not been to her gravesite because it was so crippling painful for them to have to see her grave and deal with the fact 
that she's never, ever coming home. And I think, you know, I look back on him cracking jokes and I wish I had not responded so harshly because I think it was his way. I mean, we were going through the whole murder and what happened and how excited she was about her wedding. And I think he was just, that was his way of dealing with our content, Joe Scott. You know, I've made, as I've told you before, I've made probably in person over 2,000 death notifications over the course of my career. I've, I've seen people break out in hysterical laughter when, when I've notified them. And, you know, I, I don't like the term defense mechanism. It's a reactionary thing, though. They don't know what to do with these emotions that well up. And I can only imagine in this particular case where the family is, is actually, you know, essentially hitting the chest with a 10-pound sledgehammer when they're made aware that there's apparently a viper living among them. And I mean that in the pure sense because this guy was poisoned, Nancy. Um, and, you know, in forensics, it, it's hard, particularly when you talk about drug chemistries, for people to kind of grasp the numbers. Just let me throw something out to you real quick. Okay, if, you, if we go to the store and we buy Tylenol, all right, Tylenol comes in like 325 milligram tablets, right? And some people look at them and say, God, that's like a horse pill. You know, you got to choke this thing down. He was dosed with fentanyl. A lethal dosage of fentanyl, Nancy. Now, get this. What did I say about Tylenol? 325 milligrams, right? Fentanyl, two milligrams is lethal. He was given 10 times that amount, I mean, five times that amount per the medical examiner. And the medical examiner also determined, and I find this very intriguing, you know, fentanyl is a Schedule II drug. You can actually be prescribed fentanyl. But he determined, the medical examiner determined, that it was actually illicit fentanyl. Hey, before you go one more step, I've got a question right there. Yeah, yeah. I knew that they had determined that this huge fentanyl overdose that he mm. received, we think, in a Moscow mule that she prepared for him. But I knew they could determine that it was illicit. In other words, illegal fentanyl as opposed to like a pain patch or a pill right, that right. you get pursuant to a doctor's prescription and you pick it up at the pharmacy. Yeah. How can you look at it under a micro? Well, they don't have a microscope. They were get, uh, of the pill itself. They had to extract it from his body. How can you look at it and tell when you're looking at, let's just say, blood and say this is illegal fentanyl as opposed to prescribed fentanyl? Let's say let's say that the illicit fentanyl, the illegal fentanyl, was was created in a lab and it was made in tablet form, which many times it is, and it can be in a liquid form too, but in a tablet form. When it's made in a, an actual legitimate pharmaceutical environment, um, when they make these tablets, it's not pure fentanyl. It's just like it's not pure Tylenol. There are binders in there, and there are certain chemical signatures that you look for. When you say a binder, you mean like uh, baking soda or something like that to hold it together? Yeah, exactly. You know, we've, we've had all kinds of things over the years, Nancy. I mean, people would cut drugs, for instance, with like talcum powder, baby formula. Uh, quinine has been around for years and years. So if you get these kind of weirdo you know, signatures, chemical signatures, they're thinking, okay, we, we see the molecule for which, which fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. You know, you think about heroin, which is kind of naturally occurring, comes from the poppy plant. This is something that synthesizes, it's made in the lab. So you're looking at this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is something we see the, the, the synthetic molecule there, but there's all these weirdo attachments that are there that shouldn't be there. So they can pick up those molecules, even though, they're extracting the toxin from blood. They get yeah, it from blood yeah. or stomach contents. Uh, they're not uh, well. Not just that. Um, urine is a fantastic sample to pull this from uh, when we're looking for opioids. You know, any kind of whether synthetic or naturally occurring. Um, and stomach contents are good. And you know, with uh, people might not know this, but when you're at autopsy and you open up the body. It's something, if anybody's ever smelled someone in the morning after they've had a big drunk on the night before, you can smell alcohol on, on that person. When you open up the body, if they have alcohol on board, even if it's just a slight amount, it'll knock you to your knees many times at autopsy. You know that alcohol's there. And within the stomach content, you can actually pull out um, a sample of that. You can spin mm. it down. 
And you can actually test that substance. And sometimes that's the only thing we have to hang our hat when on. When you say spin it down, you mean separate the urine from the toxin. Yeah, well, yeah. No, I'm referring to the gastric content. So you uh-huh. have to kind of separate so that all out. So spin it down means you separate the gastric mm-hmm. contents, yeah. the liquid, from the toxin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's what they'll do in the laboratory. And there's, there's any number of ways we can go. And here's one more fascinating thing. I'll shut my mouth. No, please don't. Uh, it is actually fascinating. If they drew, if they drew vitreous fluid, which you know we always do from the eye, vitreous fluid is very non-specific. It's like looking at the rings on a tree. You know, you can kind of get an idea when there were drought, uh, when there's a drought and there's a rainy year, and that sort of thing. If you look at that analogy, with vitreous fluid, you get a qualifying amount. You say, okay, well, something has been here before. All right. If they drew vitreous fluid, I'd be really interested to see if they found it because it takes a lot longer for it to kind of settle into the vitreous vitreous layer. I'd be very curious if they found it in there, uh, which would give you an idea. You know, Karen mentioned a moment ago that he had been dosed before, and that was on, I think, the uh, February 14th. She fixed him a sandwich. And what was interesting, you know how he reacted to that, Nancy? He had difficulty breathing, which is something that you see with opioid ODs, you know, they'll, they'll become um, uh, congested, highly congested in the face. Uh, you'll have individuals that have difficulty breathing. He had difficulty breathing at that point in time, but it kind of resolves. So, you know, what if, just what if that was a test run? And then she said, okay, well, I gave him this amount this time. It didn't work. And by golly, I'm going to give him twice that amount this time. And that may be what happened. You know, and all I asked him, what what did I ask? I'm so, I don't even know what the question was anymore, but I have another question for you, Joe Scott Morgan, and for anybody else on this panel. The texts regard, I'm back on the party. Yeah, I'm not letting it go. I want to find out when she texted her friends, what did she say in the text? Some of those, if not all of them, were deleted along with whomever she was texting during the night where she said her phone was plugged in in the bedroom with her husband and not being used and turned off, there was activity. The phone was moving. It was being locked and unlocked. And texts were sent and received throughout the evening. They're deleted. Here's the question. I know we can recover a lot of information from the cloud that stores all of your information. What about texts? Are they stored? Can we reconstruct the texts that she deleted? And it leads me to Jarrett Fiorentino, veteran trial lawyer, guilty conscience. Again, I don't even know when I've ever deleted a text, ever, because that requires time, but you don't have any of that. So, why would she go to the trouble of deleting texts, and can I recover them? Well, a couple of things. She's lying about having the phone at the point. So she's definitely wanting to hide the fact that she was using her phone. If you delete texts, they are difficult to recover, believe it or not. They're not always recoverable. What I've done and what's done in other uh, investigation is you can reverse engineer this. The record will reveal who exactly she was texting. You can bet the investigators are going to follow up with those individuals and say, hey, we have a record that you were texting with Corey that night. Show us the text. And you can reverse engineer the conversation that way. What if they have deleted the text? Well, if the, the, your only hope then, Nancy, is they're stored somewhere in the cloud or in uh, the depths of the phone. And that's not always the case with text. See, the, the thing about a phone is it stores so much information and, and it's so critical in these cases that it's often being rewritten. Um, it's just very hard to recreate that kind of data. It's just not because there are so many texts going back and forth. All of those records aren't maintained for an extended period of time. That's where you run into difficulty. Well, one thing that's interesting, uh, a lot of people are comparing this case to the Alex Murdoch double murder, the legal heir in South Carolina that is now convicted of murdering wife Maggie and son Paul. Their texts, phone calls, even video sent around the time of the murders are, were used at trial, but they had not been deleted, which is very different from this case. Nancy, um, I don't want to interrupt you, but can I Please add do. Okay. Yes. With, re- 
on the night that Eric died, after she po- after she allegedly poisoned him, um, she claimed her phone didn't move, that she you know was right there plugged in. They were able to prove, obviously, that it wasn't plugged in, that it was moving. It had been unlocked and uh, unlocked several times during the time where she said she wasn't on it. What they did find is that she had been texting her uh, best, somebody they labeled a best friend, who didn't live nearby, lived some ways away. She's, she's called CL in some of the paperwork. Um, and, and she actually had, Corey, had her friend that she was texting with that night delete their text messages. And that came up during the investigation when this person admitted to police that she had been texting with Corey at that time of night. They said, hey, let us see the text. She pulls out her cell phone, hands it to him, says, go for it. All the texts between her and Corey were deleted. There were plenty of other texts on the phone, but her communication with Corey that night, all deleted. Mm, Okay. I like it. Listen, always jump in, Dave Mack. It's like uh, when somebody calls at last minute and says they're coming to dinner, you go, oh, great, I'll just add more water to the soup. Please, just keep pouring it in. Keep pouring it in because every fact counts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience. Which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values of premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, And environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. I want to do that. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I want to point out another striking characteristic of the data analysis um, I don't know if the name Richard DeBate rings a bell, because I can never forget him. He murdered his wife. He claimed that an unknown intruder masked. They're always masked. Remember Jody Arias, Joe Scott Morgan? She said that two masked ninjas broke into Travis Alexander's condo, murdered him, and let her run free 
always a mask, right? So in debate's case, he says a masked intruder broke in and murdered his wife and basically did nothing to him. Okay. The Fitbit data on the wife's watch showed her walking around the house long after he said she was dead. So his story's a lie. Then I analyzed a case. I think her name was Kelly Heron. Kelly Heron. And she was jogging in Seattle and fought off an attacker. And all of the movements to corroborate her story were caught on her Fitbit. It was amazing. Same thing here regarding the phone. And I'm just wondering if she had a Fitbit or an Apple Watch that could also corroborate the police theory that she was not asleep in her son's room down the hall, that she was back and forth and moving. And we also saw in the Alex Murdoch prosecution how many times his phone was locked and unlocked and we saw how many times even his door to his suburban vehicle were opened and closed based on nav, navigation data. It's amazing. So I expect that to be a huge part of this trial. But earlier, Karen Stark brought up a fact that I find really convincing. And that fact is that very shortly after her husband's death, the wife in this case, Corey Richens, has a locksmith come and drill into her husband's safe. Now, a lot of women, maybe widows, be they man or male or female, may be thinking about, oh my goodness, I've got to prepare the funeral. What is my spouse going to wear? How am I going to tell all the relatives what's happened? I can't stand the thought of going through this. But... Corey Richards was of a much sturdier ilk, and she thought to call a locksmith to come to the home. Take a listen to our cut 32, our friends at ABC4. It's the case that just keeps unfolding. Corey has been charged with one count of aggravated murder and three counts of possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute. Here's what's been amended on those charges. We've now learned that after her husband Eric's death on March 4th, Corey hired a locksmith to open Eric's safe containing between $125,000 and $165,000. Eric's sister told Corey she didn't have the rights to those funds, resulting in Corey punching her. Eric also opened a living trust and placed the trust as his life insurance beneficiary instead of Corey. We also now know that Corey had purchased at least four life insurance policies on Eric Richens with death benefits of over a of over million dollars. That has a lot of information. Let's hear it one more time. Our friends at ABC4. It's the case that just keeps unfolding. Corey has been charged with one count of aggravated murder and three counts of possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute. Here's what's been amended on those charges. We've now learned that after her husband Eric's death on March 4th, Corey hired a locksmith to open Eric's safe containing between $125,000 and $165,000. Eric's sister told Corey she didn't have the rights to those funds, resulting in Corey punching her. Eric also opened a living trust and placed the trust as his life insurance beneficiary instead of Corey. We also now know that Corey had purchased at least four life insurance policies on Eric Richens with death benefits of over a of over million dollars. Okay, this is what jumps out at me in a probative manner. In other words, can I use it to prove something at trial? Immediately following her husband's death, she's not planning the funeral, notifying relatives. She's hiring a locksmith to drill into her husband's safe to get out about $165,000 in cash. Her husband's sister said, whoa, wait, wait, you don't have a right to that money. And what does she do? She punches her sister-in-law, punches her, I believe, in the face. We also learn that the deceased husband, Eric Richens, opened a living trust and placed the trust as his life insurance beneficiary to a sister, not his wife. We also know that the widow, the Mary widow, Corey Richens, purchased four life insurance policies on her husband with death benefits, millions of dollars. Okay, 
All of that is probative to Justin Boardman joining me, former detective, West Valley City PD, now running Boardman Training and Consultant, and this is his jurisdiction. Which one of those do you want to take a crack at first? Wow. Um, probably the life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. You know, usually, um, and well, at least in my cases, um, I've had to have, um, like when I took out a life insurance policy on a wife or something like that, I've had to notify them that it was being done. Um, and that doesn't seem like that was the case. So that's certainly something that sticks out to me. Um, right. In, in other words, her taking a life insurance policy on her husband was not unusual, but the fact that she right. took out four and failed to notify him as is customary suggests a nefarious motive. And I got to tell you this, Justin, if my husband takes out four brand new life insurance policies on me, I'm calling (laughs) his mother, even if I have to do it through seance and reporting him. She's the only person he's ever been the least bit afraid of. (laughs) So I'm going to have to call for heavenly aid on that Four life insurance policies (laughs) and doesn't notify him because we see him changing the beneficiary from her to somebody else because he's afraid. Absolutely. And obviously he... He was thinking that this might this might turn into um, this homicide. You know, certainly like with Josh Powell and Susan Powell. Susan Powell, yes. In the case, I worked the outskirts of a little bit um, out of my former jurisdiction, um, where she left a note saying that if I ended up dead, this is who probably did it pointing to her husband. Um, and and so, he was never arrested for a murder, and her body has never been found. So there's absolutely. definitely a trail being left. I find the greed aspect overwhelming that she oh, yeah. was hiring a locksmith while she could have been planning, not a party, but a gathering after the funeral, or her words at the funeral, Karen Stark. Well... It's not only that, Nancy. I mean, think think of everything that we're talking about. I mean, here she's attacking her sister-in-law for telling her that oh, she can't yeah, do it. That was my next thing. Karen Stark, I believe you've met on the set a couple of times uh, my sisters-in-law, Jan and Donna. And I got to tell you how blessed I was. Never a crossword, ever. And this woman is Punching the sister-in-law? I mean, just picture that. Her husband is dead. And she's supposed to be grieving. And just the idea of punching her sister-in-law when you don't actually see people walking around and punching their family in the face. I mean, none of that shows signs of someone who's distraught. There's nothing distraught about her. And... One of the other things that she did, which hasn't been mentioned yet, Nancy, is that she changed his life insurance policy without him knowing that he was doing with his partner. And he I'm finds out sure and changes happened. it back. Right. He changes it should have sent back. a chill down his spine. But I'm back on, okay, two things. The hiring a locksmith. I mean, she's not trying to find an organist for the wedding I mean, the organist for the funeral. Instead, she's hiring a locksmith to get that cash. You said a wedding for a reason, Nancy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I do the that reason, a lot. The reason you made that mistake, that's, that's definitely a Freudian slip. It's because she was acting more like it was a celebration than it was a funeral. You're so right, Karen Stark. And, you know, back to the timeline. I know nobody is taking the bait on my party theory. But what, did she go to the liquor store and buy the booze and get the food ready? I mean, she's having a celebration. She might as well just dance across his grave. One of the things about the party aspect that has bothered me immensely is who has friends? 
that would come over and participate in a loud drinking party the day after their friend's husband died. Well, let me ask you this. Who do you think that Corey Richens is hanging out with? Nuns and priests and virgins? You know, I'm sure they were all on her side. Nancy, I have an idea who might be coming to that party. Someone that is mentioned in these texts, it's rather cryptic, and we don't know their name yet, but their initials are CL. And that's the individual that supplied her with the fentanyl. And the police know who this individual is. And so this transaction, and they they framed the transaction when she purchased these illicit substances from this individual as a hand-to-hand transaction. That's the way the police frame this. So I'm thinking, you know, going to your, you know, to your train of thought here, who's showing up? Who in the heck is she associating with in this world in which she indwells? You know, Joe Scott Morgan, I'm very disappointed. I thought you party people at Jacksonville State University (laughs) knew how to throw a party. Of course you have to invite your dope dealer. Guys, if you have any information regarding the death, the painful death, of the father of these three little boys, Eric Richens. Please call 435-615-3600. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Lisa's Sapira Hybrid has been named Wirecutter's best hybrid mattress five years running. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner.